In the heart of the state of the art, at the dawn of the next stage in entertainment, you found no proscenium. indeed found no proscenium the voice of everything immersive i'm your host noah nelson and welcome to episode 416 of our ongoing exploration of the immersive cosmos this week on the show it's our annual holiday gift guide episode that's right we are going to tiptoe through the 2023 gift guide with esteemed members of the no pro staff this time out it's katrina lat nicholas fortuno Laura Hess and Patrick McLean, who will be joining us. Uh, they're bringing a wide variety of options from the pretty affordable to the wait. How much was that? Plus a few picks from yours truly as we make our way through it. Now, if all goes according to plan and it might not, but if all goes according to plan, you will be getting this podcast episode at the same time that the gift guide is launching. However, I'm in a wedding this week, so there's also a chance that you will be getting this podcast before the gift guide is launching. So maybe this is a preview episode, or maybe it's, uh, you know, you're listening to it a couple days later. One way or another, you will soon, if not right now, have clickable links which can lead you to everything we're talking about today. It all comes down to whether or not I'm able to get a bunch of work done on the plane and get things published before I have to give a toast. All right. I <laughs> just wanted you to know. Now, before we get into it, I want to thank our latest members, Todd Little, Bria Smith, and Brent Busboom, all of whom have brought us closer to our goal of 450 backers for this season. We now stand at 438 backers, so 12 to go. We've got a dozen more to go to get us there. Remember, when you are sharing the gift guide this week or any of our works and you want to tag us, we are always no proscenium, except on Insta and on threads where we are no underscore proscenium. Whether you're a backer already or not, sharing what we do makes all the difference in the world to us. If you haven't become a backer yet, swing over to patreon.com slash no proscenium. That will connect you with our discord, guaranteed you access to the newsletter going forward because things are changing and some other fun perks we have brewing because things are changing. As always, big thanks to our sustaining backers, Samuel Mustry, Chris Woolman, Samantha Davison, Eric Shamlin, Elaine, Daryl, John Boulette, Cameo Wood, Jay Bushman, Jerome Joseph Gentes, Kurt Collins, Winthorne, Ryan, David Bassick, Richard Ayers, Lonnie Hanson, Leckard LeCool, the Ministry of Peculiarities, and Jan Budman. And I just want to pause to say, I got to see a number of these folks this week. I got to see uh, a number of them who I didn't see this week last month, and I get to see some more coming up soon. And you know what? I love seeing these people. I really, really do. We're also on the lookout for community partners who are up for working out special deals for our backers. Hit me up at noah at noproscenium.com for details. We've got those 438 backers, and we have a lot more readers and listeners who are very loyal, 
very into what we do. So reach on out and let's get something going on. All right. You'll hear me throughout the episode, of course, you always do. And I'll have a little segment at the end uh, with just a couple of extra picks from yours truly. Let's get into it. Joining us for this segment is Laura Hess, No Pros Arts Editor. Uh, but interestingly enough, uh, well, maybe one thing in here is art related because I don't know it. But uh, <laughs> I've, I've brought I've brought Laura in to to do to talk about four different things, uh, some of which she's had and played, some of which uh, maybe it's uh, maybe it's a there's a purpose to the gift guide if you catch my drift. Uh, <laughs> let's start off. Let's start off with uh, with one that I, that I'm glad you put on the list because this is uh, a pretty big release um, overall uh, in in a, in a very specific part of our world, being the tabletop game part of our world, and that is the Arkham Asylum Files: Panic in Gotham City. Tell us what you know about this one. So this is a, a game, an award-winning game, recently published by Infinite Rabbit Holes and made by the fine folks at Animal Repair Shop. I have not yet done the full game, but I was very fortunate to receive a demo excerpt uh, by two of its creators, Michael Boris and Rich Molina. Um, and it was so impressive. It the, the mix of, we talk a lot about VR, AR, just XR broadly. And one of the things that I think we run into with AR specifically is it can feel like an overlay uh, with mm. the real world that, that can certainly feel interesting, but it really feels like you can kind of just separate the overlay. And when there are experiences where that AR component feels so interwoven with the real world. I think that's always the standout uh, moment or experience. And so within this demo, this is a tabletop game that has incredible AR technology and it feels beautifully integrated. So, so how, give us an example, right? Like, and, and particularly like an example of how the, the play part of it maybe works with the, the app. And I'm assuming, I think a lot of us have seen the ads, the AR is done via phone. Mm -hmm. The tabletop is this uh, sort of three-dimensional cardboard, you know, you know, map of Gotham City. There's some pieces, I think, to move about. What does the AR part do? Yeah, so I'll back up for one second. So physically, there's so many different components. Uh, and, and I do want to give a shout out to the level of detail uh, and handiwork with those. So there are different, I mean, it's in the name, there are different paper files, file folders, there are all of these paper assets or physical assets, and they are so beautifully constructed. And the level of detail is incredible and really helps pull you into that world right away. Um, in terms of the AR, I think, again, you, you are definitely picking up your phone and there is a conscious mindfulness around integrating 
the AR components through the app. But they're so compelling that the few that I saw in this in this very brief demo that it doesn't feel like okay I I am taken out of the experience or I'm having to exert too much thought or too much kind of labor into this other component. So it feels, I think what's worth noting about this again, is that it feels integrated in two ways. The actual process, because we talk a lot about, like especially in VR, how there's a real barrier to entry around just like the time to get into VR with the headset. And there can be frustrations around that. And this felt really seamless to get into these AR components and have that overlay. And then they were so dynamic and additive. When you say dynamic and additive, like like in 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 what way? <laughs> like, because yeah, so- I, I, I like does that do that make explosions? Is there like a little animated Joker running around? Like, what's what's <laughs> happening? Well, at least for, so again, I only, I can't speak to the whole experience, but um, for this kind of uh, like Gotham, uh, at one point we were looking at this little sector of, of Gotham City and different changes that were happening within that landscape. So whether that was physically on the building, whether that was, um, you know, some other, like a helicopter coming into play. So mm. there were things within the the Gotham urban landscape where you've got the actual uh, tabletop physical component, but then these AR pieces that move in and out as you as you actually physically move around the board. Um, and so that's where it felt like it really felt like you're pulled into that world. It didn't mm. feel like just again this sort of overlay okay okay i think i think i'm digging because like because the the fact that there's a a physical board you're playing with and there's like these representations of the buildings in that form and then you're you're seeing those change in the ar it it becomes it becomes something that gives it a little bit of depth and not just something oh here's something sitting on my desk that isn't integrated it's because the the app knows what the board is like and they can kind of get into dialogue with each other a little bit better. Exactly. Okay. All right. That, that, I, I dig it. I dig it. Uh, <laughs> offhand, do you remember this one? This one's like what, about 150 or so. I can't, I don't have that in front of me. It what, is, how- I do have it in front of me. It is 149 via dot Um, So I'm assuming that's how it is priced across the board, uh, pun intended, but, uh, but maybe there's some black Friday deals coming up. Um, but yeah, the base is 149. All right. And for those who are also curious about, you know, infinite rabbit holes, they are, uh, an animal repair shop. They're a animal repair shop is a spinoff of 42 entertainment who, uh, made things like, uh, the dark Knight ARG. Why so serious? Uh, the year zero ARG. Uh, so there's, there's a real lot of depth on the creative team here that goes back, uh, for a very long time in the, uh, alternate reality game world. And here they are in the augmented reality game world. So that's one to keep an eye on, uh, swinging to a different kind of electronic game, uh, setup. Uh, you also peg 
uh, here, uh, Electronic Games Advent Calendar. So uh, this is another one. This is one you ha- you don't have, but you you've spotted and thought this was an interesting choice. I've gotten into advent calendars a lot in the past couple of years. We had oh, I the the. Let me see if I can pull it up really quickly. The there was an advent calendar that I think we actually had in last year's uh, gift guide. And I do yes, think I we did one. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Exit Games, their advent calendar, and this All was right. uh, described as a, a home escape room meets advent calendar. This was reviewed and and recommended by Blake Weil, and so I I really leaned into all kinds of, of, of non-religious advent calendars. And as I've been searching for new ones for myself, I came across this electronic games advent calendar. And so this is, it has the kind of standard uh, 24 windows. And then each of those reveals a different electronic component and my understanding based on the description is that with the addition of each electronic component, you are making a new game. And so you are making a game every single day, but it shifts and evolves. And it seems like such a much more, I don't know, I think, you know, creative and fulfilling take on the advent calendar. I mean, as much as I love like cheese advent calendars, something that's edible, uh, you know, there's the trinkety ones. And then that kind of feels like if that works for some people, great, but I, I sort of want more. And I think our community is always looking for how can we, how can we push ourselves or how can we have different moments of engagement or discovery? And this seemed like such a delightful, it is suitable. It, it says it's suitable for beginners. So regardless of if this would be just a very easy pastime uh, for people who like, you know, dismantled ham radios when they were in their youth, or whether this is for, I think it's recommended for um, ages 14 and up, but whether this is someone who's just kind of interested in like electronics and how things work, or just want a fun game-based pastime, um, it seemed like a really unique take on this classic tradition. Now we're going to slide over some stuff that you have done. Uh, and I want to start, I, I, I told you we were going to go one way, but we're going to go a different way. Uh, <laughs> talk to me about uh, headlo- the gift cards for Headlock Escape Rooms, uh, which is uh, an online escape room company, or at least a partially online escape room company. Yes, and they, uh, if I remember correctly, so Headlock, uh, well, at least what became known to me, sort of early pandemic, and the company is a small independent company based in the UK, and I was uh, lucky to do a show of theirs, <sighs> like just even like thinking about it makes me laugh and have warm fuzzies. Uh, it's called The Keeper and the Fungus Among Us. And I mean, I'm a pun enthusiast, so you've really got me at the title right there. And then the description of that remote experience is, so it's an online escape room, rock opera musical with hand puppets. (laughs) Okay. 
I don't know that it can really get any better than that. And especially for people who I think I understand the desire and, and, and I'm certainly there with so many people like wanting to do as much in person now. There's Zoom fatigue. Absolutely. But you cannot have more remote online fun than this show. And for people who might be separated from family and friends or just looking for a fun thing to do, this is worth its weight in gold. So this this puppet one, that's that's just one of the possibilities they have. There's a couple of different True. And I'm not knowledgeable yeah. about their other shows. The uh, okay. The Keeper and the Fungus Among Us is the only show of theirs that I've done. But based on that alone, I would certainly recommend Headlock broadly. So finally, and this is another one that you have, uh, and I'm curious about it just from the name alone. Uh, tell me about these these books, this 360 degree book. What is that? These are beautiful. These are a little work of art. Um, so there's a couple of uh, different options. Um, and these are by Yusuke Ono. I don't know if I'm saying that correctly. Uh, a Japanese artist. And uh, which one do I have? I actually have, I'm looking at the link that I've included. I have the Mount Fuji book, but there are several options in the link that I've included in the gift guide. And so these are, I want to say they're about four by four, maybe five by five. Uh, they're small, and but it is a compact square book. And when you open it, the entire book opens into this kind of segmented sphere. So you have, there's others that are called uh, Snowy World. There's one that's Earth and the Moon. So there are these different scenes and it's it's paper. It's a you know thicker cardstock. But it is so, the, the way that these reveal these beautiful scenes and they're more, it's a more minimalist approach. I mean, Snowy World is only, the color palette is just white. But they are extraordinary. It's not what you expect, especially if you're not familiar with them and you just see the book sitting there flat, like just kind of almost like a, you know, it looks like a little bit of a larger coaster. It is, they, they pack so much punch and it's such a delightful reveal. Fantastic. Well, Laura, thank you for swinging by the pod and giving us some more wonderful options for gift giving to immersive fans this year. Yay. For this section of the show, again, having no idea when it's going to run, uh, this part is going to be Patrick and myself talking about a couple of releases for the Quest platform. Uh, that is, of course, Meta's VR headset platform, which now comes currently comes in three flavors, Quest 2, Quest Pro, and Quest 3, um, and uh, a couple of recent releases. And we're also going to talk a little bit about like the state of the platform and maybe other things that might wind up on the gift guide before uh, the final holiday of the year comes around. Uh, Patrick, let's start with you with uh, Demio Battles, which is a new uh, versus uh, a separate game from the makers of Demio. 
Yeah, and this is from Resolution Games, and we were such big fans of Demio. And I think you, I have to take a minute to explain what Demio is, which is a tabletop miniatures dice rolling game, which is essentially a D, it's D and D with the miniatures, but in VR. And you can do this um, through the headset, and you can grab the pieces and move them, and then you pull your die and you roll it. But what's really great about primary game the original demio is that it also has cross play so you can play this actually with people on pc which really breathed a lot of life and i think really kind of redefined the shape of things and so what can you can do is that it is essentially five campaigns that are each three levels with the last one being a boss where you have to talk and communicate and be like i have this card i think i should go here and position myself well, I'm the paladin. I'm buffed up. I'm going to run in and hit all these rats. And it's really was a really engrossing game. And I think we always talk about with virtual reality about like, oh, like mixed usage or like, it's just like real life, but in a headset, I think this really captured what was important about uh, all these role-playing games is just simply getting in there and playing with your friends. And so that's Demio. And so what they've done is in Demio battles is that They've essentially gone the way of Warhammer now. And for people who don't know what Warhammer is, I feel like I'm just all the nerd now. Okay. Let's not go too far. So it's it's now to make it easier, it's Demio, but instead of you versus the computer, it's you versus other players or other players and the computer. So it's a lot of scenarios. Uh, and instead of it's just your hero, you have your hero and a squad of monsters that you get to uh, buy with the games. Uh, you, you get a certain amount of points each round. Everyone has the same number of points to like buy up their deck of monsters and also their deck of cards uh, because Demio is a the some of the actions are card based, and this was also true in Demio. There were cards that you that you used, but now it's you 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 and one of your friends versus maybe two of your other friends, or you know random people or the computer. If uh, Patrick and I, for instance, played two v two with the computer being our opponent. Yeah, and and what I really loved about this game is that uh, um, I think you know. No, you'll agree with this, like just video games in general, not even like VR, but computer and like console games. They're always trying, like, we got to bring you in for more and longer and it's got to be challenging. It's got to be all this thing. And what was so wonderful about Demio Battles is, is how quick it was, is that they really both in like the gameplay, because if you've played Demio before, it's super easy to pick up. But even then the onboarding is pretty great. And the the um the ability to just pluck a card out of your hand drop it on your character and do something or drop it on what monster you want to attack remains incredibly easy. I actually think it flows a little bit better and there was a little more kind of cool UI. And what I loved about it is, is that the collaboration that we, you and I had when we were both playing the computer, the strategy, it's a very small board. It's not like some big expansive thing. It's a very compact type space but there was so much variety, like the map design, I, I, I realized was super engrossing that it made us really think about like, well, which way are we going to go? There's a chest over there. We could use more cards. And I think that was great. And I, we're, I'm talking about all this stuff and we fight the monsters, we fight the computers and we win, but it, it was only 13 minutes. 
like the last the last round we were played when we were really yeah. into it. Yeah. Yeah, we we got the we got the time down on that thing. And you know, my my first blush with it, because to be sure, you're controlling your hero, you're playing your cards, you're collaborating with your teammate, much like you do in Demio, and you've bought a bunch of monsters. But you do not control the monsters. You do not direct the monsters. The monsters are just mobs doing what they're going to do. So I haven't played any League of Legends. I haven't. So I couldn't tell you like, oh, this is a League of Legends setup. Because I don't know how mobs or monsters work in League of Legends. I I don't know if you've got supporting monsters on your side. Uh, So shame on me for, for not being interested in MOBAs. But going into this i will but i've never been interested in mobas because like i played a lot of starcraft 2 and i uh, starcraft and like i loved it and then i never wanted another game of that type i just wanted more starcraft um and like, i went into this thinking you mentioned warhammer and even though i've never played warhammer i thought it was going to be a little bit more like that in that as we were buying those monsters and pretty much after the initial layout of where they are in your startup area um, you have no control over them. You cannot affect what they're targeting. You can't direct them. And I, I was disappointed. But then once we got into it and the matches were like 13 minutes long and we were getting to a groove and we were unlocking stuff, I let go of what I imagined it was going to be and embraced what the uh-huh. game was and really found myself enjoying. Yeah, and I and that's what I think the the success is because in those in a real life miniatures game, Warhammer or any of them, like there's you got to get a ruler out and you're measuring. There's and then you got to do that for your twenty figures, and then you got to wait for the other person to do it for their twenty figures, and then before you know, it's been four hours, and your wife's calling, be like, "Are you ever going to come home again?" Where with Demio, it's it, it takes a lot of the Henry Cavill. No, I'm kidding. Well, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm playing with Henry Cavill. Uh, but but that's what was nice about it is that like it's it's like little tiny like like some of your supporting staff could be like a group of spiders and like the, yeah. they take two hits and they do one damage, but they're meant to distract. They're meant to overwhelm, and you could use that to your advantage. Like, do you position them all on one side to go over here and swarm? the computer or another player and you tag team with your uh, with your partner the fourth player like your other opponent like there's i i think we yeah. we, we played only limitedly but i think the amount of strategy is is uh quite vast and it's quite large and could be evolved. i mean i i kind of wanted there to be something on the level of at least you know the way you direct a squad in a shooter when you you have you know ai bots and you're like you know flank left flank right or like mob this guy and so but i will note this game is called demio battles not demio tactics Mm -hmm. so like it is not a tactics game but it kind of also feels like everything's there to make a tactics game um but i i doubt we were talking back and forth about, oh, we will this come up in the DLC at some point? I've given this more thought. I don't think they're going to ever going to like, even though they're going to like do a lot of optimization and create DLC for this game. I don't think one of the DLCs for this game is going to be, uh, you know, DLC tactics mode. I think if they get enough people asking for tactics mode in a year, 
we'll find demio tactics being released on the market sure. you know and like and, and, and that's okay that's okay if that's what it comes to yeah and i but i think what's important what was really kind of fascinating about both now demio and what could be with demio battles is what resolution games has done is that like at launch with demio it was only two campaigns a yeah. very easy one and then the most hardest one and then they would for another year and a half, release three more. And there was no no nickel and dime things and stuff like that. It was just here. So they earned a lot of good grace with me about what they've done. So yeah. to your point, I agree. It might it would have been nice to have uh, tactics control, but they they could go quite far. They went quite far last time further than I expected. They, cause even in the VR space, they created a hangout space where you can paint miniatures and hang out. We did that. We did. It was really fun. Yeah. It was super fun. I, I can't wait to see what they're going to do here because I know, or I hope I feel that Demio, the Demio battles we've played is not going to be the same thing when we do it again in a year or so. Right. Although I'll also note like that mode, that hangout mode, you know, in painting miniatures, they didn't replicate that here. Uh, that isn't also happening here, which maybe suggests that people weren't interested in it and didn't use it. And so they didn't bother to add the code to the True. game. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, you know, like who, who knows? Uh, they're experimenting it, though. I think that's what, I think that's what yeah. resolution game does is that they're, they're, they're throwing stuff against the wall where I think other, other games and companies in the VR space aren't. And I'm, I'm excited that they're really thinking about community and engagement with other people. Yeah, and there and the fact that there's easy crossplay on this is fantastic. And they also do, you know, that company has a lot of co-op and versus games, you know, in a lot of different forms. Uh, so uh, easily one of our favorite game makers and in inside uh, inside the quest and sort of you know justifying the you know owning the headset in in a way it's if one of those like five or six things where you're like all oh yeah like this is this is an essential i will say that my group of friends i play with i played the original demio with three other people one person's in headset the other two are in two on pcs we are playing all the campaigns again that's how much they've enjoyed it and how much mm. they've gotten into it and because those maps dynamically change each time it, it creates variety. We're never like, it's generally the same campaign. You got to go fight this monster in the end, but the things change and all that kind of stuff. And I'm, we progressed slightly in our round. We actually were, you unlocked a map. I unlocked another character. And I'm very curious when you progress further in battles, what that variety is going to be like, like yeah. how, how much dynamic, like if, if I only ever unlock characters and all you ever unlock are locations or skins or other cosmetic stuff like how different experiences will we separately have but then also together what does that mean when we bring our stuff our toys together our virtual toys yeah no there's 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 that element to it and like sometimes it can be a little annoying to have some of that unlock going on particularly i think with like the character classes uh because you don't have a full range of, of motion and we have yet to we'll hopefully by the time this drops we'll have the answer you know I decided to unlock a map uh, when Patrick unlocked his hero. And, you know, we both have all the codes. So, like, his hero showed up in my game, no problem. But um, we tried to get the game to, like, you know, use the map. 
uh, but the way it picks the map is through a voting system. And so we, we tried a couple of times and it, at no point did the vote come down in favor of the map I picked. Um, and cause he, cause Patrick couldn't pick the map cause he hadn't unlocked it yet. I only had and the so, base three ones. Yeah. Yeah. And so that was sort of a question is like, Oh, will it only work if we all have the map? Uh, which I'm a little, I don't know, sad about it. Cause like I was hoping that it was going to clearly work like the walkabout mini golf where if I've unlocked a map, everyone can play on it. But the the randomization factor of it, the fact that you can't vote for a map that you haven't unlocked uh, may stymie that. And it might only happen half the time that you actually get the map that you unlocked. Yeah. Um, okay. With all that uh, said on Demio Battles, because uh, we went incredibly long on that, uh, I'm going to pick up Ghostbusters Rise of the Ghost Lord from Sony Pictures VR. Uh, this is uh, a... Uh, single or multiplayer uh, Ghostbusting game. Uh, the it starts off with you uh, inside of a story mode that has some real uh, serious, like Vader Immortal vibes. You're you're on a quest. You're on a mission. You're learning how to use the equipment. All the classic Ghostbusting equipment is there. You got a PKE meter uh, that really does kind of guide you around and like help you find what you're trying to go for. You've got a uh, ghost trap, which uh, has you know a couple extra features thanks to video gaming. You don't have to manually reel it back in. And you ultimately wind up with. Thank God. Thank, Thank goodness, God. right? That'd be a real pain in the butt. Um, and uh, and then you have a uh, you get a proton accelerator which you strap to your back and uh, go from there. Um, it is it, it's got a that kind of questy, cartoony style. So it, it sort of feels like you know somewhere between uh, you know the Ghostbusters movies, the real Ghostbusters cartoon, and kind of the uh, arcane uh games art style is sort of where you find the look of this all of it set in san francisco with the idea that at the the beginning kind of like onboarding experience game uh you uh accidentally unleash this uh character called the ghost lord who's this big bad who's you know going to cause a big problem in san francisco and then after the initial you know uh tutorial missions you are dropped into uh, or dropped back at Ghostbusters headquarters, which you've already visited. And the first time this happens, you are dumped into a live lobby with randos if people are online. And we were playing on the opening weekend, so we were definitely people online. And uh, that part was a bit chaotic. Patrick, you had a little bit more experience with that uh, than I do because I <laughs> was dropped in that thing, instantly heard what sounded like an eight-year-old screeching and was like, I'm out of here. Even as someone was saying like, oh, I'm going to stick around and help this guy. I was like, no, you're not. Cause I'm gone. And then I went and played a couple more missions by myself, which I will note because the game has this mechanic where like a lot of multiplayer games, where if your character goes down, another character has to revive you. And they solve this in one player by having uh, a virtual character, this kind of, ghostly goth ghostbuster girl um 4g uh comes by and uh, you can high five the ghost hanging out on 4g's back and then you're revived and can keep on playing the mission so it is definitely possible and maybe even easier 
to complete the game in single player mode because 4G cannot be uh, slimed out of existence. Patrick, like I said, you had uh, you had a longer experience with the screeching eight year olds than I did. Yeah, I decided because I I kind of just already mentally knew the moment when I was dropped into a, a public lab, uh, public uh, lobby. I'm like, oh, he's not going to stick around, so I should bite. I was like, I'll bite the bullet. I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll no, you're it, right. I wasn't. <laughs> I'll I'll give it like the three to six chance because also like you know like just trying for you and me to find a time to play together is sometimes horrific. So it's like, I got to find someone else and get them the co. So like, I was just like, I'm just going to do it to try to get the experience and do other, these maps. And uh, I wish I could report that your experience of hearing a kid and uh, uh, some person, God bless their soul, trying to help that kid uh, was it, but that happens every single time. Uh, and it was kind of uh, part of me is just also like mind blowing. That's just like, there's kids out there with quests with live mics, just screaming into it and no one in the household cares. I, I, I couldn't handle it and things like that. And there, I did only encounter one other kind of person who was there, but it, it made it very chaotic because mm. In a bad way. So a, a chaotic in the good way, because you've got the proton streams flying over the place. Everything's getting destroyed. It's a much livelier game with people. And I, I, I did play by myself, too, for a few missions, but I just felt like, what am I doing here? Like, it was kind of like, I felt like, I felt like one of the, you're like, I like Ghostbusters, but I'm not that big of a Ghostbusters fan. And also the Ghostbusters, I mean, con- you know, classically, Ghostbusters is a four player movie. Right. Yeah, it's a group activity, and and yeah. I think so. Yeah, I play with the play with them, and the problem is all of these, several of these um, scenarios, because it's essentially three scenarios. Basically, it's just try to exterminate as much as you can. The other is like make sure the machine keeps working and zaps enough ghosts, then take the canisters and leave. And then there's one where as one where it's essentially an escort mission where one player has to hold. Uh, and a canister, then they have to go slowly. Otherwise it'll explode and you lose it. Oh. And busting ghosts with random people's fun. It's easy. You, you knock them out, you throw them in the trap. It's super easy. It's fun. It, it, that works. But trying to like work with other people to be like, I need you to pick this up. I can't pick it up. Uh, or I'm over here and things like that was that's where it fell apart very quickly and was very frustrating. Now there are mm. players, you know, who um, understand what's going on. They've played the game. They can just get into it. You don't need to be the person, you know, quarterbacking the whole situation, but because this game is for everyone, that's what I like about it too. Like you talked about the triumphant of like, like, you know, our arcane plus the cartoon plus the movie, it takes the best of all of these things, but it's its own thing which I absolutely love. This game is for everyone. It really can be like, I hope there are four kids screaming at each other, not doing anything. And they're having, I bet they're going to have a great time. But then if you mix that with just like, I'm an adult, I just want to have some fun, stand, shoot some ghosts and things like that. And then just a kid who's like, what do I do? What should I think? Like, or it's just like providing color commentary. It was very frustrating. And I, um, think the problem is is that the other flip side of it is is those are the three scenarios at launch there is dlc coming that you can purchase and there's probably going to be other game updates to come with many of these type of games but right now it's the three so 
once you experience them all, it's fun and it's good, but you're going to be repeating that potentially at yeah. nauseum, even to a certain point. And why would you want to do that with random people? Yeah. And, and to be sure we haven't, you know, hit credits on the story mode. Uh, I got to admit, I'm not even sure if, if there is, it, it's sort of implied that like, you know, I played through a few missions on my own and then another, uh, you know, a cut scene happened and the story seemed to advance forward. You, you had that experience. You, you just put your finger up. Cause like you had yeah, that experience in, in because while people I, around. Right. So what happens is that they're at the headquarters, there are TV monitors everywhere. So occasionally um, it's the Gabriella is the one who's running the San Francisco, like ghost busting franchise office. And so she'll be there talking to big T who seems to be an ally. And then there's eventually this, um, um, city inspector who of course doesn't believe anything is going to be just a you know monkey wrenching the whole thing naturally but the first time like that happened for me i was in a public lobby and a kid just talked over it all like i don't i've other than seeing gabrielle and big t talking to each other and understanding that they'd made some discovery about uh hook hook up afar i I, the 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 guy who's had the machine in the basement and all the ghosts get out like they discovered something about this person yeah i have no idea because that kid was too busy describing why how his mom wronged him that week you know yep and and there seems to be no way to re-trigger that like once it has happened for me it's gone so like whatever whatever story was trying to be piped at me was completely lost. It was essentially like, I guess, long story short, it'd be like, you're having a, you like are having a one-on-one in sleep no more and you're cherishing it. And then suddenly like an eight year old shows up and starts talking about why his mom doesn't make him peanut butter and jelly sandwiches anymore. The way he likes it. She's making him. I just wanted to go get pizza. Is this where the pizza is? My mom promised me pizza after taking me to this crazy hotel. Do you like pizza? Why does this person have a mask? And why are they, why is it just the two of you in this room? Yeah. 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 In times infinity. That's all it was. Yeah. I mean, we just part of the conversation between you you and I, I think on the phone, because my, my headset, my battery crapped out. Um, and, um, prompt a conversation about how, you know, the technical part of matchmaking for video games has long since been solved, but the actual social part of matchmaking has not. So like, if you're the kind of person who just getting dumped in a room of randos just sounds like hell to you, which it does to me and always has. And it's the rare, gaming experience where i'm happy to be dumped into a room of randos uh then i like the fact that there's a single player version of this you can keep on unlocking there's there's all sorts of progression stuff here you know there's there's more tools to unlock that attach to your 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 proton pack or to the ghost trap and like it's got all that kind of gamified stuff all of it's done through the metaphor of of you know in-game cash you know you go on a job you make money you come back you can buy things it all makes sense and it's fine it's good and it fulfills that fantasy of being a ghostbuster and that's what the price of admission is for and so like check the box they did it um it works even better if you can you know have a pool of people that you know you can play with um which the companies aren't 
probably going to solve. So that's something that, you know, we're going to put our thinking caps on and try and help solve some of that for those of you who want to go out and play this or walk about or, you know, get together on Demio or Demio battles, right? Like it's, it's, it's something that we're going to start trying to solve on our end uh, to, to do some of that social matchmaking. So people know they have someone to play with, which is something we did quite successfully uh, with, uh, with walkabout mini golf ages ago. Uh, and uh, led to some very fun fun things for Walkabout even. Um, so that's those two games, which are on the gift guide because uh, we like them and we want more people to play with, right? You yeah. know, that's, that's the thing. And then go buy those games so we can play, everybody. You know, <laughs> come play with us. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think like and that's like, I think the big part of this is that I think what, I, I think that like the state of, VR gaming and quest and experiences online is, is still riding high. There is actually still like a lot of things to do. We've listed three, four with walkabout golf that are easily accessible and are not hard to do. I think people think about like, Oh, VR, I'm going to have to be doing like gripping things and it's going to be complicated. And there are those games that like, you know, when you want to like hit something, like you got to hold it a special way and all this kind of stuff, but that doesn't matter. But I think where they're struggling and they're in the, in the, in the studios are making these games that are meant for communities and are for like, yes, come hang out, have some fun and do it. But I, I, I just, it's raising an interesting question of like, where's the barrier? Where, why is it hard to get people to come into these spaces? Because I think, starting a private match uh matchmaking even just like connecting like on a quest call it's never been easier like it's a smoother process and how to interact and what to interact is at an all-time high i feel like there's some older vr games where it's like can i can i grip this what can what can i cannot do a lot of that's been solved and stuff so I, i i is it is it just the price is it just that people don't want to put a I, I don't know how I, we we're still on quest two. So I don't know yeah. what, what it feels like to have a three on your face. Cause two is a light brick. So maybe this is just a, a, a hot stone. I don't know what the three <laughs> is. Um, I mean, uh, I think, part, you know, part of it's been, you know, that, you know, people note the drop off and like, there wasn't, there, there are these, there are these sort of deserts of time where there isn't really an interesting sounding, at least, to me or to you release coming out and then right now we feel like we're in like this glut or deluge because we've got demio battles just came out ghostbusters just came out uh i think vampire justice maybe just hit or is about to just hit i i, I can't it's just it about track. to hit and just there's, about there's to a, hit. Yeah, yeah and there's like you know there and there's other things like the seventh circle uh there's this game called killer frequency which seems to be you're a dj like handling calls and trying to prevent people from like getting in killers like that you're right like it dawns on me like we go very long time with only like a new zombie shooter and then all of a sudden it's like there's too much to pay too quickly i think that's a really keen insight i mean but it could also be we're not laser focused on the release schedule the way other people might be because this isn't our primary focus but at least from like kind of our, our, our waiting, you know, standpoint, that's really what it feels like to me is that it, it, these long dry periods 
and then suddenly, oh, a whole bunch of stuff to do. But the library's definitely never been stronger because um, mm-hmm. you, you look at all the things, you know, or I just look at my own library, right? Because you've got Moss and Moss 2 and Red Matter and Red Matter 2 and Walkabout and Demio and Vader Immortal and Beat Saber and, you know, it goes on and on and on and on. And it's like, oh, this is, there's, there's a lot here. There's a lot to explore. So like someone who's been fence sitting for a long time is going to walk into a very robust ecosystem. But I'm, I'm really curious as to, you know, out in the parts of the marketplace where people are, are maybe a little, have a little more time or this is their focus. What are they doing on these social games uh, to create kind of like stable communities around them? Because there were some things kind of early on, like Star Trek Bridge Crew, that showed up that were uh, it was it was a little bit too hard to like get rolling because of Ubisoft's multiple multiple levels of logging in. But when we played it, it was a lot of fun. But it it went away because there, it wasn't worth it for them to keep the servers running. Because but that was also a game, and I, I will I will admit that they leaned into the source material. Yeah, that wasn't an easy game to play in the sense like there's no. like you really are like diverting power if you're engineering like there was like a, a thousand yeah. little things to do. Yeah. It was not as like easy as Ghostbusters it where it's literally yeah. hold, hold, hold it, hold, pull the trigger, grip it on the side to help steady the beam and go Star yeah. Trek. It's like you got to understand how the photons got to get put into the particle reactor. It was more and yeah, it was it was, yeah, it was which a is more fun, but it's, yeah. it's not it's not easy to jump into. No, it's definitely not easy to jump into. And also, they released it at a time, literally, like I think Discovery had just started or was about yeah. to start. Like it was it was before the modern Trek boom, right? They mm-hmm. released that game now, and you'd have everyone who was into Strange New Worlds and Lower Decks probably just like very very excited to be able to play something. Um, but yeah, and I think we should also note that, uh, much like Demio Battles is also available to a flat PC game, uh, Ghostbusters Rise of the Ghost Lord is also on PSVR 2. Uh, and so, uh, that's an option for you if that's the system that you have picked up. And indeed, I don't think there's a lot of games out for the PSVR 2. So, uh, what, what a, what a great excuse to grab a PSVR two game uh, and make P- and since you love Sony because you have a PSVR two, you're going to make Sony even happier by buying a Sony movie product. Um, there you go. They do have a lot of comparable games. I was because the Halloween sale. I don't know why they were part of the the PlayStation because I have a PlayStation uh, four. I don't know why they were part of the sale, but there were a lot of VR games. Like I saw Arizona Sunshine. I definitely saw. Um, some of the other they star wars tales of galaxy edge they actually i think there i think there's a little bit more variety in regards to immersive storytelling on the quest that's where you can play you know like um the neil gaiman story one or you could watch some of these fascinating the doc- yeah. Yeah. yeah and some of these really wonderful fascinating documentary experiences that are like super engaging like you know notes on blindness which i think is like still like a premier like thought provoking a really cool experience. Those don't seem to be there, but everything that you can play, like just play, play like a video game is on the PlayStation. So they, whether they're catching up or they're getting ready, who's to say, but that, I think that helps bodes the system as well. Cause there's, 
now even more people playing. There's in theory twice the amount in quotes because there's another ecosystem of people who want to bust ghosts. Yeah. All right. Well, that is our look at VR from our our, our tiny <laughs> impoverished slice of things since, you know, we're a couple of broke-ass dudes. Uh, broke-ass broke VR, that could be a good... Uh, subcategory for us that could be something you could spin that off yeah um yeah broke svr i like that um the broke svr report with patrick and noah uh we'll talk about this offline so that's everything this part of the gift guide and uh stick around uh there'll be more one way or another in a moment this segment i'm sitting down with katrina who like a year ago i was at one point actually almost sitting down because we were in denver right around the time we of recording this like a year ago yeah. uh so we have met in person it's great uh but right now you're in toronto where you are our mm-hmm. toronto curator and you've got you've got a couple of things that you've put in the gift, gift guide this year at least one of which i don't even know what this is so i'm like really fascinated uh let's start with that the puzzle ring what yeah. is a puzzle ring says so, this uncultured uh <laughs> bear of man oh gosh so a, a puzzle ring is a a ring that's com- uh, comprised of between four to twelve different interconnected rings and if you place those four to 12 interconnected rings at the right angles, they come together to form one single ring. So there's actually some pretty cool history around puzzle rings. Um, some people say that they were created in like ancient Egypt or ancient China. Um, some look back to like the 16th century for these European gimel rings um, that were it's like a ring of couple hoops that people would put together like engagement ring plus regular ring plus when you're together to make like one single ring. Um, but one of the really cool myths that I've heard was that it were actually given to men, uh, given by men to their wives to make sure that they didn't cheat. Because if the wife wanted to cheat, she would take off the ring. Uh, and then because it's a puzzle ring, she wouldn't know how to put it back together. And so the guy would know if the wife was cheating. So not so great from like a feminism, patriarchy oh, no. standpoint. Um, I don't know if that's true or no, not. No, no, no. Just really from the, the standpoint of patriarchy, as awesome as horses. But from... <laughs> But for everybody else, maybe not so great. Yeah. Uh, but patriarchy, love, loving that. Oh, um, <laughs> oh, I, I like the idea of it, it being like a surprise puzzle that you could always have on you. Um, and I mean, for, for myself, like I'm not a big fan of rings or like the concept of exchanging rings one day at, if, if, if and when I were to get married. But this is an idea that I, I absolutely love because it's like a secret puzzle that you and your, your loved one could have between each other or just like a secret puzzle that you could give to yourself and always have on your own self. So I, I love the idea of puzzle rings and the, the history or myth, whether or not it's a, actually feminist or not. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's, there's something to this, you know, like the ultimate fidget spinner um, on mm-hmm. one level. I'm looking, I'm looking at the site you linked and we'll – We'll have that in the gift guide, uh, just so uh, people also know um, that there's, uh, you know, th- there's links here, and so we're gonna we're gonna link to something that you haven't bought from, just to be absolute uh, certain on. Um, 
I've not bought from there, but if anyone yeah. wants to give me a gift, they do look quite nice. So just putting them out there. <laughs> Mind you, these these are these are these are pricey, pricey, pricey. Uh, so I don't, like, there's, some, there's some quality metals being used in the crafting of those puzzle rings, but you can get quite cheap puzzle rings out there as well too. You know, but if you're going to give a possibly a, like a fancy ring to a loved one, though, you got to do it with nice metal. Very good. Very good. Um, okay, so from from some possibly really expensive, although I see there's some silver rings in here too. So it's like I see if it's oh that one's not so bad, uh, but there's a lot of gold one. And it's like there's one here. I was like oh my god, you know, like this one's <laughs> this one has four numbers in the price and before the zeros at the back end. Well, I guess because um, it's like a, it's like a buy one get twelve rings because it's actually technically twelve rings all at once if they're all interconnected. So maybe that's I, why. Well, I don't know about twelve. I mean, there's I'm looking at one here wowzers uh that looks like it's i mean it's just two rings but it's this 14 karat gold made to order unity ring from that's just from 1157 um but but it does look like something i mean these things look like something that like you you put it together and then it unlocks your super suit uh or (laughs) you know it creates a spell or binds you to binds the vampire you're trying to i'm not sure there's there's lots there's lots of uh stuff in that they're they're all they're all pretty looking um Mm -hmm. they're definitely pretty looking and and because they are like multiple rings it's like you know anyway yeah fascinating fascinating find thank you for bringing this lore to us uh going going way down market but maybe not all that down market um the giant rubik's cube talk to us about that yes so i've seen these around um at a couple of conferences and at a couple of escape rooms actually just in the lobbies of certain places um i myself taught myself how to do a rubik's cube as one of my pandemic hobbies um but when i encountered this giant rubik's cube i really wanted to solve it but i found that Uh, When I was learning how to do the Rubik's Cube, a lot of it ends up being muscle memory. So because that giant Rubik's Cube is so giant, my muscle memory tricks wouldn't quite work. And so I sat there being so frustrated in myself because I knew I could solve it. It's just I had to force myself to remember the exact algorithms and not just muscle memory it. So that giant Rubik's Cube is one I have yet to solve, one that I would like to purchase um, just to like finally finish that final battle. Um, but I just how, love the how idea. How big are we talking? Yeah. You, we say giant, oh, but like it's like the, you know. the size of my head. You've met me oh, before, my. no? You know how my big, big my head is. So it's around the size of my head. <laughs> so kind of, kind of. I mean, not quite a basketball, but like no. you know, it but, probably would not work very well as a basketball, considering it's not ball like. Right, but like, but you know, somewhere, somewhere, you know, like like a sports ball sized. Yeah, you know? it is I guess it's sports ball. I'm sorry, everybody. I, I I swore that word off a very long time ago. But like, yeah, you know, like you know, a ball you would use for playing sports, like that Indeed. size of a cube. Indeed. Okay. That's that's it. I've never. It's funny. Like I was in, I was in a store today, and I saw they now have like this like heat. It's a t- I think they call it touch. So it's it's all heat sensitive stickers. So when you look at it and not touching, it's all black. But as you touch it reveals what color it is. Right. But then like it's fading as you go. Right. So like, so again, not, I mean, probably like mess with your muscle memory. Right. You got to like think so upping the challenge, but it did, I did look at it and thinking about like, Oh yeah, I should finally like really learn how to solve one of these. Cause since I was a child and, and they came out when I was a kid, I've, I've never been able to solve a Rubik's cube. It's It's just something. 
Yeah. I mean, you mentioned fidget spinners earlier. I, I keep a Rubik's Cube on my desk at my office and I use it as a fidget spinner in between meetings. If I just like don't want to work for a bit, I'll sit down for a minute and just do the Rubik's Cube once or twice. So it's a great fidget spinner. And like I, I consider it like a, a mind palette cleanser. Yeah, I, I can I can I can see that. It's like how this is kind of macabre, but they say like if you have a traumatic experience, the thing to do is to go play Tetris because Tetris oh. is is will actually like clear your brain out. Like, Interesting. It'll it'll keep you from being extra traumatized. This is huh. this apparently is a real thing and not just something. Oh. I mean, maybe I just heard it from people who are just weird. But I, I, I let's look that one up together, everybody. Yeah, I'm curious um, now. I'm curious. Yeah. I mean, hopefully, I do not encounter any traumatic experiences no. in the close to near future. But should I do so, I know to keep Tetris handy. Well, I, I, I mean, also, I think there's something to just like, hey, if you see something online that you don't want to see, you just want to. Un- if you see something you want to unsee. Time for Tetris. So, uh, yep. and then you'll see nothing but like, you know, blocks of Tetraminos. Squares and lines yeah, and L shaped and T shaped. Yeah. Tetraminos, is that right? Tetraminos? I thought it was Tetramino, but like maybe. It's one of those words I've only ever seen written down. I've never said out loud till right now. So, there you go. There you go. Okay. So, from. Very, very, possibly very, very pricey uh, puzzle rings, if that's how you want to go, to like, you know, probably decently priced uh, giant Rubik's Cubes. Uh, ACS custom earplugs, custom earplugs. So tell us about this and then tell us why this is good for, uh, I think the puzzle side is like, yeah, most of people, they tend to like puzzles. Those are, these are great. Talk to us about how the earplugs fit into this. Yes. So I am a big advocate of, uh, of ear safety and hearing safety. Um, a lot of shows that we go to, whether they're concerts or immersive shows in general, um, there'll be a lot of loud sounds. Um, and you may not realize that um, you're hurting your ears at the time, but sometimes you'll walk out of a room and you, you can hear that slight buzzing and that means you've damaged your hearing. So I'm a really big advocate in trying to get people to protect their hearing, um, largely in the hopes that 50 years down the line, knock on wood, we're all still on this planet and global warming hasn't killed us all, but that we'll still be able to hear and still be able to go to shows the way that we love doing. Um, So I got a pair of these ACS custom earplugs about five years ago. Um, I'm I'm a big um, concert goer myself. um, So these are with me all the time, just in case I happen to go to a last minute show or like a last minute nightclub thing, or just someone invites me along to an immersive event. Um, these are the best earplugs I've ever used. They, um, they're not like the orange foams ones that kind of just muffle everything. What they do is the really high sounds and the really low sounds, which are the damaging ones, they will filter those out. Uh, and huh. because they're custom earplugs, they stay in your ear and they're super comfortable. So talk to me about the filtration process. So is this, are, are these like active filtration? Is this like a, is this like a battery powered thing or is it just part of the design? So they have a number of different models. The one that I I use, there's no um, like no tech involved. I mean, no battery powered tech involved in it. It's just a filter that's in there. They do have uh, battery powered ones um, that are mostly used as monitors for people who are performing on stage. Um, mm. But these ACM custom earplugs that I've linked myself um, are the ones that I use on a regular basis, uh, and I absolutely swear by them. They are one of the best things that I own, and I highly highly recommend them. And on the custom side, like, do you, 
are, is this something you have to like have your ear measured or like molded or modeled or just you get them and then you mold it to your ears once you have them in hand? So you get them molded and it is one of the weirdest experiences I've ever had um, where a, um, a person will essentially pump, I think, silicone into your ear carefully, um, but in a way that you get a, a mold of your ear that they then use in order to create the earplugs. But when there's the silicone in your ear, it's the strangest feeling because it's almost like, you know how when you're underwater and your ears fill mm -hmm. up with water and there's that weird feeling of, of unbalance and unease? It's like that, but you're not underwater. Um, but I assure you that five, 10 minutes of discomfort is 100% worth the, the, the um, protection that you give from your ears afterward and the the great sound quality as well too awesome well i i could probably ask 15 more questions about the earplug thing but i'm going to like let everyone just like do their own research or imagine or look up a video uh and i'll just ask you once like we're not recording anymore okay so like this one what are they like because uh, by <laughs> this point people have probably already like clicked on things uh if they are by their computer and like oh yeah that's what they look like and and i'm not clicking things i'm looking at things at the moment uh oh well, i was a minute ago with the the rings which i'm i'm still looking at the rings actually uh <laughs> they're nice looking rings i, I mean this I, they're place, pretty, yeah. And, yeah. pretty and puzzly that's like my ideal duo right there pretty and puzzly I, I mean i'll be very sad if we find out that like this this particular place you found like you know is like a scam spot oh uh, no but like uh oh yeah like they they're their, one of their uh, sister sites is Clotter Ring. So absolutely for the Buffy fans out there, who, who the, the 20 of you who are left, um, <laughs> don't, don't write in. I say that because I was once one of you once. Um, okay. Deep down inside still am, but like we all know, we all know. Uh, all right. Finally, the, the last thing you put on the list going, going back down market a little bit here. Uh, Meow Wolf Plush. So, uh, which, which one? Cause I know there's, there's a, there's been a couple of Meowth plushes and, and which one and where'd you get it at? Uh, so I saw a couple and I wanted to bring them all home, but unfortunately I only had so much room in my suitcase coming back from, uh, the Denver immersive gathering last year. So that's where I got it. I got it at uh, Convergence station when we were all at the dig this time last year. Um, and, uh, I've, I've linked to it in the guide itself, but essentially it's, a it's a literal meow wolf. It is a white wolf and a black cat who are kind of intertwined and, and like a Siamese animal type of way. Um, it is just so strange and lovely and weird and cuddly. And I keep him on my desk at work next to the Rubik's Cube. Um, and I just give him a good squish every time my work is getting a bit tough. Uh, but he's one of those conversation pieces that people walk past him and they're like, what the hell is that? It's cute. But I'm not sure what's going on here, and I love him for that. He's he's. I know I said pretty and puzzly was one of my favorite combinations, but cute and confusing is probably another one of my favorite combinations. And this meow wolf plush definitely embodies that. I'm I'm looking at this right now because as you described it, I was like, I need to see, and he's got. It's like it looks like a wolf like standing with like a kitty under his chin, but they are actually like merged in a way. Like they've glitched into each other. They've, I guess they've converged. Yeah. And the wolf <laughs> has three eyes and the kitty has one eye and then one's just 
a yellow X. So the kitty's a yeah. one-eyed kitty. Between them, they still have four eyes. But the three-eyed wolf was like either the wolf's third eye is open. This is pretty spectacular. Uh, and it's got two tails, but one body. Uh, this is a pretty spectacular and spectacularly weird uh, plushie. So I I can definitely see people being being wondering what's going on there and being absolutely fascinated by it. Uh, and yeah, uh, I'm about to be in Denver too, but with zero disposable income, but I'd be like, I, I could see myself, uh, walking home with that. Uh, if I'm, if I'm not, uh, if I'm not careful, but I will be careful because again, no disposable income right now. Oh, well, I, no, want it. I want it. <laughs> visit me here in Toronto and I can introduce you to my meow of plush and then you can give him a good pat on the head. Oh, well, I'll just probably just visit him in the gift shop at Convergence Station. Right there. <laughs> that works, so, too. That uh, works yeah, too. that'd be pretty good. Uh, visit all of them. Maybe I'll talk a friend into buying me one. Uh, okay, so. <laughs> and he's very cute and very cuddly and very confusing. So, yeah, cute, cuddly, confusing. My favorite combination when it comes to plushies. Oh, my God, he's fantastic. All right. Yeah. Well, what a, what a wonderful note to end this segment on. Uh, and. Thank you for jumping in and 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 telling us about uh, the, your additions to the gift guide. And I hope that you have an excellent season and that uh, Toronto has some more fun, immersive stuff going on in, in it, uh, both for the rest of the year and into next year. I, I, I'm excited about some stuff coming up, so I think that that wish of yours will come true for me. <laughs> Now, this is the very first segment we've recorded, but who knows when it's going to play in the show. Joining us right now are our New York correspondent, Nicholas Fortuno. Hey, Nick. Hey, Noah. How's it going? Oh, it's goofy. Uh, and our Chicago and remote curator, Patrick McLean. Hey, Patrick. Hello. Hey there. How you doing? Doing all right. Uh, a little a little uh, Halcyon muster uh, going on here uh, for those in the know. Um, this may not be the only time we talk about these topics. So we're going to cover in this segment a little bit of tabletop games, a little bit of uh, experiences in a box, and uh, then a book. So we're going to start off with Patrick uh, on the tabletop game front. What do you have? Uh, what have you popped into the gift guide this year? Yeah, so one of the first things I have to talk about is Call to Adventure. This is from Brother Wise Games, who a lot of people who are board game aficionados or regulars who have a group might also know them as the designers of Boss Monster. And what Call to Adventure is about is essentially is a card drafting game where you go through three rounds to essentially create a medieval fantasy story. And what I think everyone who's listening to the podcast will really love about this is that the variety that is able to come of this game and then how you're able to weave a narrative just off the top of your head, because essentially the goal of the game is you sit around with three up to three other players and you get a card, you have hands, you get, you have cards in your hand. That's how it works. That's how card games work. And you then kind of try to see like, what is the most dynamic visually? And a lot of these cards have a lot of like, uh, some have prompts, some have text, some have like an image, some have very specific uh, instructions on what needs to happen, but you need to essentially play it. And you're trying to create three different stories. So it's like you have different avenues and you're not like, you don't have to get locked in early. 
and you play a card and once everyone goes around review goes around the table revealing what they've played you just have to talk about it on the spot like as i said there's a prompt and there's imagery to help you but it really is essentially recreating that wonderful experience of sitting around a campfire or just around the D&D table without all the math and the dice rolling. It's just distilling what I think makes role-playing so great being about the story and about the spontaneity of creating it on the spot. And that's what I just really love about this. And it, as I said, the, what people like is that no two games will ever be the same, including you. You probably could even get the same cards in another game with a totally different group of people, but you'll still just think of a random different story because you're also thinking about the players who are there because the final catch of this is they help like score quote unquote, like Mm. how well, how interesting your story is. It's like a collaborative effort. Who thinks who had the most interesting tale this round? And that's where the competitive board game element comes in. So just just in case I didn't track this right, so each person's laying down a card, and then that card's dictating what they're going to what they're going to say. Correct, and it, it, okay. everyone does. So there's there's four essentially if a, a group of four. There's four different stories being crafted, and four different tales that you're ultimately trying to vibe and create. So you know it's and then you maybe you could build off other things and people can connect i think there might be some variety i've only played it once but it was really great it was one of the first games i played being back around with a group of people recently and it just felt like a match made in heaven in regards to uh, finally being back in person with people and then just creating stories very cool um and I, I might have some more questions about that one <laughs> offline for you. Uh, sure. Cause, like, cause I'm, I'm, you know, I get, well, actually let me do it here. So like there's the scoring component, but like if, if, if you laid down a, I don't know, like a Eagles flying out of the sky, you know, card or something like, I don't know, I'm just making something for that spot. I haven't seen this deck. Um, would that be something that both you and I riffed off of in the, in the moment or only you would riff off of? No, so essentially you're trying to riff off your own story. So you're you're gotcha. trying to build a story that is equally entertaining. And of course, there are all sorts of like, I don't want to get too far into it, but like there's like little tokens and icons, like it kind of dictates which way you have to go. So you have to be mindful of what you're playing. It's just not like um, just play a card down and just BS for <laughs> your round. Like there, there are some objectives and focus to it, of course, but it, it really does kind of help to like, explain like the the because there's a whole element of like triumph and tragedy like if it's a card that has a white icon that's like you got to have a more like this is where the the hero takes a victory or if it's a black a black diamond it's a tragedy so that's where you got to like something happens they fail to protect the village and things like that and there's different story icons to help like okay make it set it here or have it be this and there's all sorts of intricacies that for five minutes doesn't get into, but I would recommend when you have a couple hours on a game night to pick this up and figure it out for yourself. Very cool. Nick, you put in another piece of tabletop here, uh, which would be the night cage. Yeah. So the night cage is not a brand new game, although it was re kickstarted in October um, with an expansion. Uh, The original game came out in, I I believe it was 2019, or at least it won most of its awards in 2019. 
Um, it, it's published by Smirk and Dagger, and um, it was designed by Wait, Smirk uh, and Dagger. That's Smirk the... and Dagger. Yeah. Oh, that's a great, that's a that's a great name. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it was designed by Ross Sanders and Chris Chan and Chris McMahon. And um, the reason why I, I I I go back to Night Cage, and the reason why I'm really happy that it's getting attention again is because um, there's a subgenre of board games um, that are about horror, and they typically they're typically either like very, very, very um, uh, like didactically storytelling, right? Like they're just, there's just cards that like are little short stories of horror. I'm thinking of things like Home Award or um, uh, uh, what's the other one that comes into my head? Like uh, they're, 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 like there's deep space games about things like that. Um, or they're tripping, they're tripping in like, like very, very well-known horror tropes, like zombies or vampires or, or, you know, Lovecraftian mythos, right? Like things like Arkham Horror. And what I like about Night Cage is that um, as a just as a pure game, it expresses horror like mechanically, right, like through the actual act of play. And so the narrative of the game is that the players are all uh, prisoners in a labyrinth like this, this, this mystical labyrinth that's trying to destroy them by having all the light go out and the labyrinth just disappear and then their souls will be lost forever. And so the players have to escape the labyrinth by finding keys. And once each player has a key, they have to all gather at a gate. But the trick to the game is that each player has a candle that only shows a short distance around them. So they can only see one tile on the map in front or behind them. And once they move out of the range of light, anything that is now in the dark disappears and can become anything else. And so in the mechanic of the game, if I move forward in a corridor to a new tile and I could see the tile behind me, when I move forward, the tile that was behind me previously disappears. And if I go back, I put a new tile down. So it's as if the maze changed when I disappear. When it, now, when is that, when is I, that happening on like a static board that you're laying tiles and cards down on? Or is this like a series of tiles? So like there's no, there's no static board. You're kind of like constantly shifting tiles around uh, making new shapes. You have a, a board that's just like a grid. It has nothing on it. And then you have this mm. stack of tiles and then you lay down some introductory tiles for the players. And then as the players move, you just draw more tiles off that stack. And the stack becomes the the timer of the game. When the stack runs out, the game ends. Oh, wow. Yeah. And actually the, the end is gorgeous, right? So, so a, a, like basically as you move, you're pulling these tiles out and then as tiles disappear, they're removed from the game. But there are also monster cards that appear. And if monster, the, the base monster in the game, if you are within line of sight of it and you move, it causes more tiles to be discarded. So you're basically racing to, to get these keys and get out. But remember, the, a key is a tile. So if a key becomes visible, if you move away from it, it goes away. So you have to keep the tile and the gate visible on the board at all times, which becomes a constraint on how everybody moves. Uh, and what's amazing about the game, like really, really beautiful, is at the very end of the game, uh, when you run out of tiles, the players have a kind of a last sprint to try to get out. And instead of discarding tiles from the the pile and putting them onto the board, they simply remove one tile from the board every time a player moves. And so the board just slowly disintegrates as the players try to escape and they either disappear into the darkness or they gather on the gate and it's the last tile they have. 
Um, and I, you can kind of, I mean, I, I, yeah. I hope you can just kind of imagine like the flow of the game that it's just like these things winking in and out of existence constantly. Yeah, I, I can get that full. The one thing you mentioned, you said like you, a key is a tile. And so, and once you get a key, like the, the key doesn't move. You have to like, someone has to stay hang by the key. Or? You can, you pick up the key, but a, a player can only hold one key. Ah, uh, Okay. So, so if I reveal a key that someone else needs, I can't leave because if I do, the key could disappear. But then if they're by the gate, how they get over there is becomes very challenging, right? Well, exactly. So if, if they leave, okay. Is the gate static? Like if you leave the gate, will the gate disappear? The gate goes away too, yes. So someone, someone better hope that they don't... I guess someone could drop a key by, like you could give a key to someone. So like, okay, let's, let's, let's imagine this scenario. Cause I'm imagining this, but like, let's say Nick, you, you unkeyed found the gate. Now you're stuck by the gate. Patrick uh, keyed has spotted another key. Um, I'm unkeyed. So now I need to go to where Patrick is. And I guess uh, and oh, and and you have no key. I need to go to Patrick's to pick up that key and just hope that I don't see another key. Otherwise, I will then have to pick up that key. Patrick will have to stay where he is, and I'll have to ferry that key to you before I can get it back. Before I can go get the other key, Patrick's revealed. Exactly. And okay, you might draw cool. a monster, and then and then the whole board just sort of explodes. And we <laughs> right. can't we can't come get you. We're, we got to stay with our key in our gate. Yeah, and and it's oh, and, and so, that's tense. Yeah, I mean, yeah it's, that's great. it's neat that we're just playing it <laughs> on, the, <laughs> on the podcast a little bit, right? It does feel like one of those games where you could just point a webcam at and just like, you know, get your friends remotely playing, you know, like I'm moving here, I'm moving there, you know, move me over there, right? Like I can see, yeah. I can see that happening. But I guess like, I'm saying you own this and we can play right now, right? Now. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the neat thing is, out, Nick. So. <laughs> when you when you get the advanced, like the more the slightly more expensive version, it comes with like better pieces and stuff. But the other thing it comes with is little LED candles, and so you have like a little candle burning in front of you. And if the monster attacks you, your candle goes out. So then you're just in the dark. Uh, it's it, it's it's just such a beautiful mechanical expression of this kind of horror yeah. and. Yeah, uh, I introduced it to students at my college because they were like, oh, we, we, it was Halloween and they were like, they want to we want to play a horror game. And I showed it to them and they were all like, why are we playing this with the lights on? Was their immediate response. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's that's good. Has someone has someone taken this to like a virtual tabletop setup or? Oh, or... I don't know. I yeah. don't know. They well, should. If they, should if they have. I mean, hold on. Let me just, let me just let me just let me risk making weird sounds on my phone real quick, uh, and just be like, uh, so let's go the night cage virtual table top, or just um, that's gonna okay. Here we go. Play the night cage online through your web browser, Tabletopia. Um. Uh-huh. Tabletopia. Tabletopia. Yeah. So Tabletopia. And again, through a web browser. I'm not I'm not sure. Well, there'll there'll be a there'll be a segment hopefully before this. (laughs) 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 You're gonna hear us discover something. Let me explain to you what Tabletopia is. So we'll we'll save that for the notes one way or another. And now there's a whole thing. All right, well. Uh 
wait, is table, t- is that that weird thing that I saw at Best Buy that one time? No, sorry. Um, anyway, so yeah, I don't know. There's, uh, there's, there's ways to, to play this. Uh, um, Noah's picked out the next game night game. It's right <laughs> I here. Think, I think I might have. I think I might have. So, no, no, no. all right. Well, very good. Buy, buy the box. Put on. Put on your creepy Zola Jesus or 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 Sunzo mm, or whatever whatever yeah. music you play. Like Juju, whatever music you play when you want to just feel like very small, and <laughs> and uh, you know just see if you can survive the uh, a horrible dark labyrinth. Moving from tabletop to experiences in a box, uh, Patrick, uh, tell us about uh, the Detective Society Trouble in Folklore. Yeah, and so this is a really great experience that I've been playing with them. They're a London, uh, a UK-based ex- uh, company. I apologize, they might not be in London. I don't have my notes right in front of me. But they do a lot of really great things. They've had three major box experiences that were six episode each and they were kind of more based in uh the real world in regards to like the, the first one's a kidnapping then there's like a, a, a the second box is about like kind of this like sci-fi techno thriller and then the third one is this kind of spooky mystery uh supernatural thing that has a, like a lot of museum elements but with with trouble in folklore falls this takes like a really kind of sharp fun turn because it's only three boxes. Uh, you know, the story's segmented into three and it continues over, but individually you have like kind of a beginning, middle and end with each one. And the tale is that essentially you're um, enlisted by private investigator BB Wolf to help solve a bunch of just dog nappings, just some basic dog nappings that are happening around town. But this is no ordinary town, as you can probably tell by the name. This is essentially all those classic fairy tales that we know and love. Uh, they're all real and they're all living together. You got the three little pigs. BB Wolf is, of course, the big bad wolf. Um, there is currently an election going on. Uh, Pinocchio is one of the candidates running because he can't tell a lie. So he's going to probably be a great mayor for the, the city. And so naturally you're going along and they've been, they found some clues in regards to these dog nappings, but of course it quickly spirals out of control. The mystery grows much deeper and it all becomes intertwined. Everything that is happening in folk folklore falls is interconnected and you are on the case and only you can do it. And what I love about this is exactly that is the story and the, 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 the fantasy element, because I think, um, for so many box mysteries, I think kind of related to just what, what we were talking about, they decide to be very dark, very spooky, very like true crime. This really happened. Um, there's been a murder on a boat or someone's gone missing on the island during the fog and it's this festival and there's a thousand suspects, but this is just fun and very engaging and very family friendly, which I think is very important in the boxed uh, home experience because I feel a lot of them are just not geared towards that and everyone can do it. And by family friendly, I do mean it's not like adults are going to be bored. These puzzles are not like easy. This isn't just like drawing some colors and stuff like that. These are your standard at home box mystery experience puzzles, just simply with the fact that it's set in this fantasy world which I think is very inviting. So if you're a fan of the comic book fables or were a fan of the TV show, 
once upon a time, this is right up your alley. And I think it would be really kind of fun and engaging for like all ages. As soon as you started describing the setting, I was thinking like, oh, wow, people really jumped on that whole thing where uh, Bill Willingham uh, just uh, <laughs> released the <laughs> copyright for Fables, even though that might be uh, – that, that that might be dubious. I, I instantly heard it was like, well, maybe he can't actually do that. Um, right. And also, you know, uh, that guy had issues. So uh, that was, that's, uh, a, whole that's a whole other podcast. Whole other sure. thing. Um, uh, but, it, but speaking of the comic element, what I also do like about this game from the detective society is that it's all drawings. And I think this is what's really, mm. really cool is that like, it's all original artwork to them. So BB Wolf is a drawing or any kind of photos and things like that are their own proprietary drawings and things and stuff like that, which adds a lot. Cause I think we've all three of us played a lot of at home boxes where it's like publicly available art or like skylines that we all know and love or clearly just like Getty image stock photos of possible suspects and things like that. And so that with the story fairy tale element, and then also the fact that they really designed everything, like everything is built up and is in support of this fantasy world. It just really added a lot and drew me in more so than a lot of experiences. I felt very similar to uh, welcome home in the sense of like, this while it still came in kind of like a cardboard box once i opened it everything felt very unique and crafted for me rather than sometimes with some of these bigger box experiences where you know it's uh, mass printing and mass production which is a place for it i'm not i, I enjoy those two very much so but I, I just really thought this was a just a delightful change of pace and it really clipped the wrong. And I, I cared for these characters too. That was what was nice about it because of the fantasy element. I felt like I just was drawn in a little easier. Excellent. Most excellent. Yeah. And there's, and there, it is really nice when one of these experiences in a box, you know, doesn't feel like it's just, you know, there's some machine out there die cutting cardboard uh, item finitum. And it feels a little bit more, like it's not just indicating, um, you know, that like this alternate reality, but is actually manifesting this alternate reality. And that's, I think, the hardest thing uh, to find uh, now that the genre has taken off is when things really have that kind of tangible crunchiness to it. And, and that's, of course, the thing that we're all obsessed with all the time, which is why uh, I'm just going to give a quick shout, even though I, I scrubbed it from the list because it's not actually available this year, but uh post curious is morrison game factory which is currently or will have just wrapped up its kickstarter i think around the time this drops or is about to uh you won't be able to get it till well past christmas so not not a great not a great gift option this year but it's going to be a great gift option next year and it and because it takes board games as its form manages to do the same thing you were just talking about which is it it feels like it's the thing itself um which is also really smart and brilliant, right? It's like, this is what we've got to work with. So we're going to make a thing about this. And then it feels like you're holding, you're holding the real things from the story, which is so nice. Yes. Story definitely comes first. And I think, I think more so as we enter this era of kind of like it, the, the form has expanded and you can get these things at Target and Walmart. I think it becomes very clear which one of these really someone's like, I have an idea. 
I have a new take. I have something like that and it builds upon that and it goes further. And I think you, you really get that with this experience from the detective society. All right. Well, we're going to, we're going to circle back to you right now, Patrick, and put you Mm -hmm. on the spot uh, because you dropped a book in here and I'm, I'm going to cop to something that's come up on the show a couple of times, which is like Patrick and I are both pretty deep star Wars nerds. Uh, Nick, I think we could say is like a lapsed, uh, you know, <laughs> you know, uh, has, has a lapsed slash complicated relationship with it, but all of us went on the Halcyon and uh, you've picked out a book that uh, even though I read a good chunk of star Wars novels, not all of them, because they, they published too many of them for me to too do many, that. way too many, way too many. Um, which also makes me sad because I would like to be a completist and read them all, but way too many. Uh, you picked uh, The Princess and the Scoundrel, which is uh, the current canon. Oh, I just said current canon. Ooh, that, that, that's <laughs> interesting. Someone's, someone's projecting. Oh, I'm projecting, yeah. I mean, like, you know, like official canon, it's the canon now, but but there were, once upon a time, there were other stories. A uh, version of how, of uh, what we might call the, you know, the courtship of Princess Leia, um, <laughs> which... Uh, Patrick laughing because that was the name of a book that had existed before. So it's it's the story of how Han and Leia got together. Um, I skipped this one, but um, and, and I don't think I don't know if Nick's ever read a Star Wars novel. So <laughs> no. I'm going to give you a couple of minutes here to to make the case why this would be a good Christmas gift or a holiday gift for uh, a Star Wars fan. <laughs> Yes. And and, well, well, I, and I'll make the pitch. I'll make it even better. It's for, this is, I really put this on for the immersive fans out there and those small fraction potentially who were able to go to the Halcyon or maybe even really want to have a sense of what it was like, because uh, the first 50 pages of this book is like, Han's like, Hey, let's get married. They get married. It's all fun and good. But Mon Mothma uh, who's been exploded in popularity thanks to Andor is from Chandrilla and is trying to, you know, like, cause the, they've destroyed the second death star, the emperor is dead and they need the galaxy to recognize that. And that needs to be celebrated. So Mon Mothma's like, Hey, you two deserve some time off. You just got married by Ch- uh, chief Chirpa, which was a odd choice, but it <laughs> is what it is. It's now ca- canon. And that's a, that's, a, that's one of the Ewoks. Uh, ask well, again, let's let's pause for a second here. Now, this is suggesting to me that Disney missed out on an entire revenue stream here of Ewok weddings, where they get Ewoks to officiate your wedding. They they do weddings at Disney World. Yeah. Famously, <laughs> Ron DeSantis's wedding was at Disney World, and you can get Mickey to marry you, but. <laughs> yes that's actually true nick that's a whole other podcast that's a second podcast it, uh yeah there are dimensions within dimensions uh you've entered the you've entered the twilight zone or also known as we're talking about florida um you know just imagine having chief chief chirpa uh facilitate your disney wedding i just i just want to put it out there well, and, and it was a very lovely ceremony the rings were just essentially like made you of- could be married by by chief chirpa yeah. Um, and the rings are made out of twigs. You could have been married by Chief Chirpa. I know. Is this what yes. put the book on? Because you're, anyway, sorry. I'm really, I, oh, so, really focusing on this whole Chief Chirpa marrying uh, part. You think yes. Logre would do it because Logre is the shaman, 
But no, they had Chief Chirpa do it. Anyway, sorry. Um, I did take this book on my honeymoon. I only read like 25 <laughs> pages because like, you know, you, you travel around, you're at the end of the night, you know, it's the have 20 minutes yeah. to read before you go to sleep. I didn't make so it far. So you read on someone else's honeymoon while you're going to sleep. That makes sense to me. Exactly. And my partner was very kind enough uh, 44 days before our wedding to allow me to get an emergency trip to the Halcyon, which is what Mon Mothma suggests because the uh, Chandrilla Starline, this is they're going to be their first year in a long time that they're not going to be under imperial control. They're going to get to set their own fleet and stuff like that. So Han and Leia take their honeymoon on the Halcyon. And so they travel to Chandrilla where they are greeted at the docks and they get pampered, not no no frozen grapes, but they definitely get the plush treatment where they board a shuttle that takes them up to the Halcyon where they come out and Han and Leia have the same experience that the three of us did by marveling at the beautiful atrium and taking all the sights and things and stuff like that. And and that's what I think a lot of folks uh, who we're able to go will appreciate and those who haven't is what this book does well is that it really gives you a sense of the space but in a really magical way because for the three of us when or at least for me when i'm reading it and for you both what i like is that it's descriptive but it's not prescriptive like it Hmm. because what happens is like leia will wanders over and she sees this fascinating compass and she talks about the beautiful intricacies of it and the design work of it. And it seems to be an old way to travel hyperspace manually using the compass. But then that's it. She doesn't like, it's not like, oh, and this is the famous compass that was used by Blada de Blonde. It's called this and it conveniently has a beautiful gem from the Twi'leks in it. And that's what powers it. It's really both Han and Leia go through the entire ship for about 100 pages just exploring the space and making discoveries. Han immediately goes to the sublight lounge and uh, has some wonderful drinks that he did not expect to like a very pink drink that he's like, I didn't do it, but that drink's not even named. And that's what I really liked about it is that in a way, this book has become a perfect capsule for re-experiencing or having for your first time that sensation of boarding that ship and, taking it all in and just being wowed by it. Uh, has he sold you on the book, Nick? <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> no. But uh, it did It did prompt a question for me, which uh, yeah. is a little, it's, 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 it's related to the topic of the book because I think it, it's, it's thematically related. I'd like to Star Wars, like very hard Star Wars fans to talk about it. What has, uh, like, like given that, that this is fiction that, I think Patrick, you're, I mean, tell, correct me if I'm wrong here. You're implying that this fiction in in some sense exists because of galactic star cruiser right like that 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 this was written because galactic star cruiser existed yes that's my understanding i have not done any research recently but i i feel like the both star wars historically and disney and then combined are really good at synergy and making all the like oh did did you like that background character did you think that new one new planet was cool well guess what here's a comic book here's here it is in a video game here's a podcast like they're very good about pulling on threads and building upon it so uh, my mind would actually be blown if this was not intentional it's i mean i i don't know i mean i know i know a couple things one 
you can find Han and Leia's initials in a certain part. Well, in, in the engine room, there was a certain part. Like Catherine managed to get down there and take a, take a picture of it while we were on board, Nick. And then and I never, I never saw it. I, I, and I, Leia, I it, Leia suggests after getting a tour of the ship, this is a big discovery that she's like, "Oh, Captain, I think it would be really great if you let the passengers up onto the bridge. This is such a fascinating experience and a new way to see things. So <laughs> yeah. your bridge." Also your bridge training. The question, right? You know, like, yeah. why don't you train everyone on the bridge? So yeah, like a hundred pages of this book are an ad for the Halcyon. And, uh, and Leah's so, at, yeah, and her at a, her assistant essentially from them is a a quartermaster Kiva Kivan Kivan, um, who, as you both know, will becomes go on the, to captain. the captain. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So like it was, and it was definitely published around the time of the Halcyon starting up, which at the same time there was the Halcyon legacy comic book, which was mm-hmm. very much, which uh, told four interconnected stories about the Halcyon, uh, which was the same thing they did um, in, sorry, I got a pop-up on, in my, on my screen, Ka- Catherine to Anthony, the green Kyber crystal talked to me the most. It's like they're texting about Catherine's recent trip to galaxy's edge. I'm probably going to get six more of those when those are two are chatting. Um, this is our lives, man. This is constant. Right? It's impossible. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, uh, they did the same thing when galaxy's edge opened. They did a comic book series that like told inter- interconnected stories uh, and they released novels that were set there. So like there was uh, actually one of the Thrawn novels uh, told a story set in two different eras of Batu. One where Thrawn's running around with Anakin Skywalker, one where Thrawn's running around with Darth Vader. Um, with, you know, so it's, it's all this energy and they, del- and they, they, they waved those out. And even though they weren't like, this is official, you know, you must read this. If it, it wasn't like um, when they, Launch Galaxy's Edge, they had uh, a book called Crash of Fate. I think it was Crash of Fate. I'm looking over Yeah, right no, now. yep, that's what yeah, it Crash is. Crash of Fate, um, and yeah. then there was um, Crash of Fate Force. There were three, actually. There was Crash of Fate Force Collector, which I haven't read. And then there was uh, just Black Spire, which was uh, the, the the Delilah Dawson book, which is like a good book because Delilah's very good. Um yeah, those are, but this one, yeah, strangely enough, while it's clearly linked to the marketing, um, they, they didn't, they didn't, uh, scream about the canonicity or like make it part of the advertising campaign that like come to where Han and Leia had their honeymoon. Uh, yeah. because you know, the ship was just going to sell itself guys. Like there needed to be no market anyway. Um, well, let, oh me, let me ask my question though, very quickly. I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to delay this too much longer, but I just want to ask this because I, I, it occurs to me hearing about this novel that like, you know, and you, you made this reference at top Noah about like currently canonical, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, right. So how, like, like I have been thinking about Galactic Star Cruiser purely from an immersive perspective, but from a Star Wars perspective like how mm. canonical is galactic star cruiser and is this book like is this the start of like a like a, a pivot even in a small way in the thinking about the the greater story world i mean it's it's entirely canonical um the that class of ship and the designer of the ship shows up in one of the high republic novels uh you know, that comic book series they did to launch it involves, 
key characters, beloved characters from the first phase of the High Republic. Um, you know, and it's, it's a, it, a prequel what? story. Like, yeah, it's a prequel story. Like, it, 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 they definitely intentionally designed it. And Nick, do you remember on the way up to the landing? Uh, so you could the 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 crew could take the stairs to go up above in the atrium platform. There, there was the two slash marks mm-hmm. in that comic book. We see that is because Asajj Ventress with her double lightsabers takes a swing at Anakin Skywalker and misses, and they've left them there. So, like, it's definitely to that point they made a really conscious effort. Now, who who decided to put those in there? What came first? Whether it was just all part of the same incubator. Who's to say? Yeah. And then the idea that one day they may erase the Halcyon from canon, right? Which I think is like the second sort of the implied part of your question, like Nick is like, okay, all this stuff's in canon right now, but like maybe it was recycled one day. We've we've yet to come to the point where we're back in the old multi-tier canon stuff, but it is of note that Dave Filoni um according i heard this secondhand that he only like george feels that like it's the filmed stuff that matters the most so if it's a film television or a cartoon that's real and everything else doesn't really count which is not the corporate policy not the promise that was made to the fans and not sort of like the heavy lifting that's been done for a long time and indeed that's how we wound up with the blanking of the eu in the first place which has which is you know one of the several shocks to the system that's occurred to star wars fandom over the years but i i think also nick to your point we're seeing that already with galaxy's edge and in batu when you go to the theme parks now because it used to be set in a very specific point in the lore it was right in between the last jedi and rise of skywalker but when I went on my tour in August on the Halcyon, uh, I saw Boba Fett and I saw uh, the Mandalorian, right? I saw Din Djarin, which are, and it's, so they're just wandering around and why they're there. there, there there's no like uh, V, there's there's other characters who wander around who are clearly like there as part of the resistance, but then there's just people just there for the photos. So we're, we're, we're yeah. already seeing that disintentionality behind the entire, uh, I think, Disneyland, Disney World insertion of Star Wars and what Batuu is and the Halcyon by extension is already kind of fading away just to be come to it's Star Wars land. land. Yeah, it's increasingly yeah. a theme park land as opposed to being, you know, an extension of the story that you can live. Um, like they've they've pretty much fully stepped away from that. But then the 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 inverse part. Right. You know, of like, well, what does that, you know, does that mean that those stories that happened, are they now no longer canon? No, they've been baked into canon because they've been connected to everything else. At some point down the line, maybe they, <laughs> it's great, the gift guide, like, we want gift guides. You guys went on a Star Wars continuity rant. It's like, you know what show you're listening to, everybody. Look what we did. Um, I'll be like, warning, you know, skip to this part. Uh, long and the short of it is, look, at some point they could blow it all up. At some point they may blow it all up. There are people who want them to blow it all up. So, um, you know, but probably until they like throw their hands up and go like, you know what? None of this is working. So we're just going to remake Star Wars. That's that's when the Halcyon will no longer be canon. Right. You know, like that, that when that day, if that day ever comes. Uh, and it's not a, not a day I look forward to, but hopefully I'll be dead by then. So, uh, 
All right. On well, that cheery yeah. note. <laughs> well, no, how about this? To me, it'll always be canon. Like Laura Santeca, to me, it's always canon. All right. Very, very good. It was always canon to me. Uh, all right. Very good. Okay. This segment is, is kaput. Uh, but uh, Nick, Patrick, thanks for coming through. Uh, uh, gotta, I'm going to probably just stick this towards the end of the episode now. Yeah, uh, just best. to like give everyone a, give everyone a relief. Uh, which means that you probably heard Patrick and me earlier in the show talking about VR. And we'll have a lot of you guys back uh, towards the end of the year when we do the end of the year roundup. Once again, I want to thank Katrina and Patrick and Laura and Nick all for serving time here on the gift guide episode of the podcast for contributing to the gift guide. Indeed, thank you to everyone on the staff who put something in this year. We've been doing this one for years. It's always a popular article uh, that gets out there. That's one of the reasons why we do it. It's because it gets our name out there, but also it's lots of fun to share the joy of the season, uh, uh, the spirit of giving gifts or the spirit of making making very large lists of things you wish that people would get for you. <laughs> Both are fun. Both are valid ways of being human. I am not judging anyone, uh, least of all myself on that one. I'm going to talk to you about a couple of things uh, that I'm adding to the gift guide, uh, things that I have an ample supply. Uh, I don't have a lot of stuff in ample supply, but I do have these in ample supply uh, and uh, that I think would make wonderful gifts. Uh, one, uh, I'll start with, uh, since we were just on Star Wars, I know, uh, I'll start with something from that universe, and that would be... Um, the stuff you can find at hyperspace props, they are, uh, this couple, uh, in sort of the cosplay and star Wars maker community. Uh, and over the years, uh, Anthony Robinson, our dear friend introduced me to their wares. They make a lot of different things. Uh, the one I'm going to talk to you about is, uh, their own take on the Coruscant shift Sabacc deck. Uh, this is, uh, the same, uh, game, the same rules of the same game that you could, uh, used to be able to purchase on the Halcyon. I actually got this long before I went to the Halcyon and it is, uh, a, you know, a, you know, not handcrafted, but it is a designed deck of, uh, Sabacc cards. These are a little bit smaller than the ones, um, you get with, uh, you, you were able to get as the official ones, but it lets you play the game. And one of the things that's great, one of the things that's great about hyperspace props uh, decks, and they have decks for a couple of other different versions of Sabak, uh, uh, Sabak. Um, <laughs> we say it differently all the time, and have been for like thirty years. Uh, one of the things that's great about theirs is that um, actually, I'm like dealing with this box. I'm like, what? Which how does this go in? Uh, it also comes with dice. Uh, this one comes with metal dice. Uh, which is fantastic. Just like, you know, just like the other one does. Uh, uh, just like the official one does. Um, but there's all these different versions uh, based on the version of the game you want to be playing with your friends. Uh, and some of them are uh, a little more themed one way or another. But something they've always been really good at is they are incredibly readable. They are fantastic for playing. There are a lot of... I'm not going to get cut of this, by the way. Welcome to QVC. Uh, you know, we've just got to get 5,000 more uh, of these out the door. And then, oh, look, get another three. Um, sorry. Uh, 
we uh, I was at a place where there are people pitching things all week long. I'm in the mood. So I'm literally, I'm holding these up to the webcam right now. You guys cannot see me, but I'm holding the, the case up. Um, what's lovely about these is that they are eminently readable. In fact, uh, some of the decks they've made are more legible for people who, say, have red, green color differentiation issues than the ones that uh, Disney makes. Yeah. So hyperspace props, everybody. Uh, they also make some wonderful cosplay pieces uh, and lots of cool phone case things that have different themes. Uh, oh, and credits. So many different kinds of credits. But uh, grab yourself uh, a deck of Sabat cards, Siabic, uh, and uh, and come come play with us. There's they even have. They even, I believe, uh, for one of the tabletop simulator platforms, they have uh, a video game version of some of the Sabak rules that they give out for free as well because they just want people to play the game. They love the game. They want people to play the game. I love the game. I want you to play this game. Uh, and now we only have 4,500 left. We've already sold 500. He- no. Um, okay. Grab Sabak cards. I'm going to stay with cards as a theme, but these are not playing cards this time. I want to talk to you about uh, a gift for the creator uh, in or the producer in your life. Um, these, uh, This is specifically uh, Ugg Monk's analog system. Uh, this is a productivity tool. Uh, and indeed, I'm putting this on the list because uh, no pro w- would not function uh, without this tool. Uh, in truth, I, I have over the years been like a productive productivity tool junkie. I've gone through many things. I was an OmniFocus user for a long time. Uh, there was a period in my life where I was obsessed with the getting things done methodology, uh, which is why I want to be an OmniFocus user, even though they were in color, you know, a, a rather expensive task manager that I didn't need all the features of. Um, and I spent a lot of time, you know, many different. Oh gosh, planners, you name it. I've used them all. And the thing that um, I'm using the most these days, and and I also use, there's an app called Agenda, which sometimes I'll slide back over into using the app. But the thing that's become my ground point, the, the tool I keep coming back to, even though because of the way my brain works, I sometimes need to go use a totally different tool for a while just because I need to be in a different era. But the one that has my heart, <laughs> my badly functioning heart, uh, the one that has my heart, the one I keep coming back to is Ugmonk's analog system. The, this is a pretty simple system. Truth be told, you probably could mock this up yourself to some degree, uh, but they are these well-crafted uh, three by five sized cards uh, with rounded corners. It's just, it's a beautiful piece. Uh, there's just 10 items here a 10 item to-do list card uh, that says today on it. There's also some, each each set comes with some next and some someday cards. The, the centerpiece of the whole thing is this lovely wooden um, card holder that has a space for the cards you haven't used yet, the space for the today and the someday, the, the, the next and the someday cards uh, that you've got and got active, and a card holder that keeps today's card at a little jaunty angle that makes it easy to read and also easy to pick up and uh, deal with. They recently, and I don't have this one, uh, they recently added an uh, analog weekly 
card to the set, uh, a more long card uh, that just lets you write down what the weekly objectives are. Um, I, I have my calendar for that more. I don't, I don't use that tool. So I'm, this is not me asking for the tool, but maybe you're the kind of person who likes to have a physical version of that. I just find this, uh, you know, simple checklist system, a uh, really, really great way to keep myself focused and feel like I'm accomplishing things uh, because there's always an endless amount of things to do. But uh, there's these three dots in the upper right-hand corner that are vertically stacked. And I have a little uh, system by which I judge when I get to fill in those dots. And I know that if I've had a two-dot day, I'm doing okay. And if I had a three-dot day, where did I find the energy? Um, and it just, it helps keep me going. And maybe you're the kind of person who needs something to do that. Maybe you're not happy with the tool you have right now. Or maybe you know this is a gift guide. It should be for someone else. Uh, maybe you know someone who has those exact issues. Um, Ugmunk's analog. One last thing when it comes, and, and this this is a system, there's a subscription mode for it uh, where they send you cards like every three months. Uh, I'm, I'm stacked up, I'm paused right now because I think I got out of like six months of cards. Because again, I, I walk away from it sometimes and then they just kept on sending me cards and I was like, oh, I forgot to pause. Because I forgot to put Pause <laughs> until I wrote it down on this system. Pause the cards. I did not have that. Finally, uh, one last thing to go in the gift guide, uh, a subscription to Yes Please Coffee, our friends over at Yes Please. I want to put that in. That's a productivity tool. Uh, they were also the sponsors, uh, our coffee sponsors for the next stage. And let me tell you, if there's one thing that's true, if you're throwing a big event, if you're making a big event, you need coffee for yourself maybe for your, your staff members, for your guests, you need coffee. And while they don't do bulk orders for everybody, at least your coffee will be wonderful whole beans delivered at your cadence, the cadence you want from Yes Please right here in Los Angeles. They deliver via the United States Postal Service. Uh, it is the freshest beans I hand grind my beans with a hand grinder. I'm really, I'm that guy, man. I am that guy. Uh, I love their coffee. I love their coffee. And it's not just because they're my friends. I love their coffee. I'm, uh, I'm pretty much addicted to it. So, and I haven't been able to have it in a couple of days because I've been gone. Uh, and I'm going to be gone some more, so I won't be able to have it. So I miss my coffee, and I just want to share it with you. No, I mean, like, you buy it. Don't take my coffee from me, please. So that's yes, please coffee. I believe it's yes, please. Y E S P L Z dot coffee. Uh, don't quote me on that. Check the gift guide. There you go. Thank you everyone. Uh, I know it's been a long one. Uh, hopefully this gets you through. Uh, we are set up to do a podcast next week. So I think we're going to squeeze one more in, uh, and get that out there on black Friday. Uh, as I wanted uh, it to be, or maybe it's the next week. No, yeah, yeah, I think we're getting in it on time. So uh, the newsletter is going to be uh, on, I believe, Monday. It'll be a travel day for me, but I believe we're getting the newsletter out on Monday this coming week. I declared that in the newsletter last week, declared that, declared that in the newsletter last week. And yeah, uh, I'll be in Pittsburgh soon. So um, running around doing too much. I should go to sleep. I got a flight really early in the morning. So uh, when I'm recording this, uh, I will hopefully already 
be safe and sound in Pittsburgh by the time you get to listen to this. Uh, Or maybe even already back home in Los Angeles by the time you listen to this. That's the way podcasts work. On that note, let's do the credits. Uh, The associate producer of this podcast is Parker Sella. Music for No Percentium is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society and Solar the Podcast. Special thanks to Siobhan O'Loughlin for voicing our intro. The No Pro Podcast is written, edited, hosted, produced, and mixed by yours truly, I'm Noah Nelson. And until next time, I'll see you at the show.